السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد رسول کریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم وبش رحلی صدری ویسرلی عمری وحل العقدم السانی یفقہ قولی ربنا زدنا علما یسٹرڈے وی اینڈ ود باب التسبیح و دعائی فی السجود ڈوئنگ تسبیح اینڈ دعا ان سجود سو تسبیح انڈرسٹڈ In sujood, in rukur, you glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do his tasbih, his hamd. And when it comes to dua, which kind of dua can a person make in sujood? Ask for what? So first of all, forgiveness. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ was told to do that. And this is what we learn from his sunnah. And all the various duas that you see, which the Prophet ﷺ read in his sujood, you see that he did istighfar and he also did tawbah. Astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayh. Right? What else can you ask for? Hmm? Anything. Okay? Anything. Does anything mean only the masnoon duas? Because obviously when it comes to the Quranic duas, then since they are part of the Quran, and Quran should not be recited in sujood, uh, this is why the ulama have said that a person must only read masnoon duas. Okay? So, what if there are some duas which are Not from the sunnah. So for example, a person's personal dua. Could you make that in sujood? During salah? Fard salah? Huh? Why not? You can. Exactly. But it has to be in the language of the salah. Okay? Which is which language? Arabic. Alright? So any dua can be made in sujood as long as it is in The Arabic language. Why? Because you have to observe the etiquette. And what is the etiquette of the salat? That it has to be read in the Arabic language. Yeah, you have to say it in Arabic. Some said that it may be said in your own language, but the thing is that since the salat is to be read in the Arabic language, this is what we were taught. So this is the reason why one may make dua in the Arabic language, in any dua. And the thing is that The evidence of this can also be taken from the fact that once the Prophet ﷺ, when he was praying and when he got up from rukur, a man said, Hamdan kathiran tayyibun mubarakan fee. Another said, Allahumma lakal hamd. So uh, the Prophet ﷺ did not teach those words to the companions. The companions said those words. Right? They're the ones who had that feeling and they expressed it in their own words. And those words the Prophet ﷺ approved of. So this shows to us that when it comes to making dua, when it comes to glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as long as the words are correct in their meaning, and they are in the Arabic language, then there is no harm. Obviously, if a person follows the sunnah, then that is the best. That is the best. But you may have some you know, personal dua, something that is affecting you a lot, something that you want a lot. And you can ask Allah for that. And we see that in Qunut also, the Prophet ﷺ would take the names of certain people as well as tribes, right? So remember that any dua can be made. Any dua. In sujood, in rukur, as well as in Qunut. Okay? In fard, sunnah, nafl, all of them. Okay? Alright, so after sajda, when a person is performing the salah, when he goes into sajda, then what happens? Does he go back into standing position? No, he has to sit down. So between the two prostrations of every rakah is what? Sitting. And what is that sitting known as? Jalsa. Because jalsa from julus to sit. So jalsa to sit for a little while. 
سو دا نیکسٹ باب از المکتی بین سجدتینی ٹو پاز بٹوین دا ٹو سجدس بٹوین دا ٹو پروسٹریشنس فار ہاؤ لانگ فار ا لٹل وائل میننگ ٹو سٹ بٹوین دا ٹو سجدس فار شارٹ پیریڈ آف ٹائم فار بریف پیریڈ آف ٹائم دس از ناٹ لائک دا سٹنگ ان دا شہد Okay, which is at the end of the salah or which is at in the second rakah. No, this is much shorter than that. However, when a person does sit up in this position, then he has to come to a complete stop. As we learned earlier, that every, every position of salah, one must come to a complete stop before moving on to the next one. حدثنا أبو النعماني قال حدثنا حماد عن أيوب عن أبي قلابة أن مالك بن الحويرث قال لأصحابه Malik bin Huwaydith, he said to his companions, أَلَا أُنَبِّئُكُمْ Should I not inform you about Salata Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? About the prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. قَالَ He said, وَذَاكَ فِي غَيْرِ حِينِ صَلَاهِ The narrator, and who is that? Abu Qilaba. He said that this was ذَاكَ ذَاكَ is like ذَلِكَ This was فِي إِن غَيْرِ Other than حِينِ time of salat in prayer. So Malik bin Huwaydith offered to show the people how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. When? Not at the time of salah. Meaning it wasn't time for Zuhur salah or Asr salah or Maghrib salah. This was not a time of prayer. Meaning fard prayer. فَقَامَ So he stood. Meaning in order to demonstrate to them the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. فَقَامَ So he stood. ثُمَّ رَقَعَ Then after the standing position, he went into rukur. فَكَبَّرَ he, he said the takbir, meaning in order to go into rukur, he said the takbir. ثُمَّ رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ Then he raised his head, meaning he got up from the rukur. فَقَامَ هُنَيَّةً And he stood هُنَيَّةً for a little while. ثُمَّ سَجَدَ Then he went into sajda. ثُمَّ رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ هُنَيَّةً Then he lifted his head, he raised his head, meaning from the sajda, where? Into sitting position. For how long? How long? هُنَيَّةً For a little while. فَصَلَّى So he prayed, the narrator is saying that he prayed just as صَلَاةَ عَمْرِ بْنِ سَلَمَ Just as the prayer of Amr bin Salima. شَيْخِنَا هَذَا Our shaykh, meaning this one. قَالَ أَيُّوبُ كَانَ يَفْعَلُ شَيْئًا لَمْ أَرَهُمْ يَفْعَلُونَهُ Ayyub said, the narrator said that I saw him doing something that I did not see anyone else doing. And what was that which Malik bin Huwaydith do that was unique to his prayer? كَانَ يَقْعُدُ He would sit in the third and the fourth. He would sit in the third and the fourth. Now what does it mean by the sit in the third and the fourth? Mm-hmm. In the third rakar he would sit and in the fourth rakar he would sit. Now sitting in the fourth rakar that is understood. Okay, Sitting in the third rakar, which one is that? Jalsa istiraha. Okay, this is jalsa istiraha. Now the narrator he confused the words a little bit okay what he meant to say was between the third and fourth rakah meaning at the end of the third rakah okay and before beginning the fourth rakah so between the third and the fourth rakah he would sit you understand which sitting that is of istiraha because the third rakah when does that end with the second sujood Right? Now after that second sujood, what begins? The fourth rakah. So what he meant to say, the narrator, what he meant to say was that he would sit between the third and the fourth rakah. Just as he would sit between the first and the second rakah. Okay? Clear? Okay. 
that we came to the Prophet ﷺ and we stayed with him. فَقَالَ So he said, لَوْ رَجَعْتُمْ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِكُمْ If you return to your families, صَلُّوا صَلَاةَ كَذَا فِي حِينِ كَذَا Then you should perform the prayer, this prayer at this time. صَلُّوا صَلَاةَ كَذَا فِي حِينِ كَذَا And perform this prayer at this time. So basically the Prophet ﷺ instructed them as to perform which prayer at what time. فَإِذَا حَضَرَتِ الصَّلَاةُ And he said that when the time of the prayer enters, فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ أَحَدُكُمْ Then one of you should give the adhan. وَلْيَأُمَّكُمْ أَكْبَرُكُمْ And the eldest of you should lead the people in the prayer. Now, this narration of Malik bin Huwaydith, it hasn't been mentioned completely over here. Just portions of that have been mentioned over here. Okay? And we see bits and pieces of this entire incident in different ahadith, you know, uh, spread across the books of hadith, basically. What happened was that Malik bin Huwaydith, radiallahu anhu, he came with his friends. There were about 20, some of them. Anyway, they came to Medina to stay with the Prophet ﷺ. Why? In order to learn the deen from him. And these men were young. And they had families. Okay, young families. So you're talking about... You know, a man who's been recently married, who's got very little children, and all of them were around the same age. Okay? And they stayed with the Prophet ﷺ for less than a month. And after some time, the Prophet ﷺ saw on their faces that they were missing their families. Okay? So he said to them, you go back now. Because obviously for a man to keep away from his wife, you know, for so long, it's difficult. And, and these men were young. And they had left behind families. So they were clearly missing their families. And it's only natural that a person, when he's been away from his family for some time, he begins to miss them. This is the same for women, for for men, for people who are married and people who are unmarried. Everyone. You miss your family when you're away from them. But the Prophet ﷺ, he was so sensitive towards them. He said that, go back home and whatever you have learned, now go and teach your families. Go and teach them whatever you have learned. And he instructed them clearly how and when they should establish the prayer, who should give the adhan, who should lead the people in prayer, and all of these details you read about them in different, different ahadith. So Malik bin Huwadith was one of those young men. And when he returned to his home, what did he do? He taught the people how to pray. And we see that he continued this until the end of his life. Because it was towards the end of his life that perhaps this incident happened when he had become aged, which is why we learn from other narrations that when he would get up from the first rakah and the third rakah, meaning between the first and the second, and between the third and the fourth, what would he do? He would sit briefly. And then he would stand up. Okay? So a beautiful example in this, that Malik bin Hawadith, he really took the words of the Prophet ﷺ seriously, in that whatever he learned, he taught. And you see over here what lengths he's going to in order to teach the people. That he's demonstrating to them how to pray at a time when it was not you know, uh, time to pray. So he was basically just showing them how to pray, just so that they could see and learn. You know, one was that he would just sit and you know, explain to them through his words. But he didn't just explain with his words, he also showed with his actions so that the people would learn. Now, in this hadith, what do we see? That he uh, sat uh, between the sajdas. Okay? Uh, where do we learn this from? That, فَقَامَ هُنَيَّةً ثُمَّ سَجْدَ ثُمَّ رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ هُنَيَّةً When he did sajda, ثُمَّ رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ هُنَيَّةً 
meaning he sat for a brief period of time, for a few moments. And in other ahadith that we have learned thus far, we have also learned that the length of the sitting, the duration of the sitting should be similar to the duration of standing between rukur and sajda. You remember? Okay, meaning this duration should be of the same length, approximately the same length. حدثنا محمد بن عبد الرحيم قال حدثنا أبو أحمد محمد بن عبد الله الزبيري قال حدثنا مسعر عن الحكم عن عبد الرحمن بن أبي ليلى عن البراء قال كان سجود النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وركوعه He said that the sujood of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and his ركوع So sujood and ركوع And on the other hand وقعوده بين سجدتين and his قعود his sitting between the two prostrations طريبا من السواء they were approximately the same. Meaning their duration was approximately the same. Now think about it. How long is a sajda? What are you supposed to say in sajda? Minimum. Subhanahu rabbi al-a'la. Three times. Minimum. Or at least once. Right? So you have to become still in sajda in order to say that. Some people say it really fast. You know, one on the way going, one there, and one on the way coming. Right? But in order to say this properly, you have to become still. So likewise, between the two prostrations, a person should sit still. Again, not a rolling stop, but a complete stop. And then move back to the sajda again. حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد عن ثابت عن أنس رضي الله عنه قال he said, إني لا آلو he said, indeed, I am not going to stop. I will never cease. I will never stop. Meaning, I will always. An usalliya bikum, that I will pray with you, kama ra'aytu nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yusalli bina. Just as I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pray with us. What is he saying? That I will always pray with you as I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pray with us. However I saw him pray, that is I pray myself. And that is what I will show to you. Meaning, I am not doing anything in my my prayer contradictory to the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. The way I pray is exactly how I saw the Prophet ﷺ perform the prayer. And this is something that we need to check continuously. That does my salah match the salah of the Prophet ﷺ? How close is it to the sunnah? Is it necessary to follow the sunnah in salah? Yes, because the Prophet ﷺ commanded, Sallu kama usalli. Pray as you see me pray. So Anas anhu said that I will never cease to pray with you as I saw the Prophet ﷺ pray with us, meaning always I will pray in that manner. Qala Thabit, Thabit said that kana anasun, Anas radiallahu anhu, he used to يَصْنَعُ شَيْئًا He used to do something لَمْ أَرَكُمْ تَصْنَعُونَهُ That I do not see you doing. Anas radiallahu anhu used to do something which you don't do. And what is it that he would do which you are not doing? كَانَ He used to إِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ When he would raise his head مِنَ الرُّكُورِ From the rukur, Meaning when he would get up from rukur into standing position Qama, he would stand hatta until yaqula al-qa'il. Yaqula, he would say al-qa'il. Who is qa'il? One who speaks. Meaning someone would say, 
قَدْ نَسِيَهُ A person would say that he has forgotten. Who has forgotten? Anas has forgotten. What has he forgotten? Going to sajda. That what's going on? He forgot how to pray. How come he's still standing? How come he didn't say Allahu Akbar? Or perhaps he forgot to say Allahu Akbar out loud. That maybe he went into sajda without saying Allahu Akbar out loud, so we missed it. قَدْ نَسِيَ And as they were thinking, then they would hear him say Allahu Akbar to go into sujood. وَبَيْنَ السَّجْدَتَيْنِ And also between the two prostrations, meaning he would sit still حَتَّى يَقُولَ الْقَائِلِ Until a person would say قَدْ نَسِيَ He has forgotten. Meaning he has forgotten to go into the second sajda or he forgot to say Allahu Akbar out loud. So a mistake has happened. Has it ever happened with you that you're praying salah and you're wondering, did the imam forget? Huh? Like for example, uh, sometimes you're sitting in the shahud for so long, for so long that you wonder, did he say the taslim or did he forget? What's going on? Or sometimes in the first tashahud, you're sitting for so long because you think maybe the imam forgot that it's the first tashahud and he's moved on to the other du'as before the salam. Hmm? Or in the third or the fourth rak'ah, you finish Surah Al-Fatiha and the imam has still not said the takbir, so you wonder, has he forgotten that this is the third and the fourth rak'ah? Right? So when is it that you think like this, that the imam forgot? When the duration of that position is longer than you expected. So what do we learn? That the practice of Anas anhu was that he would sit between the two prostrations for, I mean, a, a good amount of time. Not a second or two, but at least for some time. And why would he sit like that? Why? Because obviously he must have been saying something. Okay? He must have been saying something. So what is it that a person should say in the Jalsa? When he's sitting in Jalsa, what is it that he should say? Do you know? Is there any other dua that you can say in the Jalsa? Allahumma khfirli, Allahumma khfirli. Any other dua? Huh? Check in your sheets that I gave you. Dua for Jalsa, which is after the dua for hmm? Sajda. So what is it? Rabbi ghfirli, Rabbi ghfirli. What does this mean? Oh my Lord, forgive me. Oh my Lord, forgive me. And you can say this as many times as you want. Now, do you notice something? That over here, this is the only dua that has been mentioned. Whereas when it comes to sajda and rukur, there's a whole lot of duas that you've been given. But when it comes to jalta, this is the only dua that you have been given. Why do you think so? Okay, but if there are more duas which you can read in the jalsa, why not mention those also? Hmm? Yes, this one is the most authentic. This one is the most authentic. The other dua, which is quite common, Allahumma ghfirli, warhamni, wa'afini, wahdini, warzuqni, and there's slightly different versions of this dua. This dua has been reported in Abu Dawood, it has been reported in At-Tirmidhi, in Ibn Majah, in Musnad Ahmad. But when it comes to the chain of narration of this hadith, we learn that there's only uh, you know, this one particular chain of narration, in which is the narrator, Kamil Abu Ala and Habib bin Abi Sabit. But when it comes to Kamil Abu Ala, about him, An-Nisa'i and other scholars of hadith, they have said, لَيْسَ بِالْقَوِي 
What does that mean? He's not a strong narrator. He's not a strong narrator of hadith. So because of this reason, all of these isnads, because of them, uh, this hadith is considered weak. And because of this reason, the scholars prefer that. The ulama have said, muhaddithun have said that, Rabbi khfirli, Rabbi khfirli is much better. Now there is another narration which is in Sahih Muslim in which this dua is mentioned. Which dua? Allahumma khfirli, warhamni, wahdini, wa'afini, warzuqni. This dua is mentioned in, in a report of Sahih Muslim in which we learn in a hadith uh, which is number 7023 in Sahih Muslim that uh, a Bedouin came to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi and he said, please teach me some kalam, some words that I can say. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Say, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. Allahu akbar kabira walhamdulillahi kathira. Subhanallahi rabbil alameen. La hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-aziz al-hakeem. So that Bedouin man, he said, Fahawla ili rabbi, famali. These words are from my Lord. Meaning, you know, in this is tasbih and hamd for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want something that I can read for myself. You know, in which I'm asking for something for myself. So the Prophet ﷺ told him, Say, Allahumma ghfirli, warhamni, wahdini, warzuqni. Okay? Say this dua. However, in this narration, it is not mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ told him, read this dua in your salah. Or make this dua between the two prostrations. This is just a general dua that the Prophet ﷺ taught that man to make for himself. Likewise, in another hadith in Sahih Muslim only, this dua is mentioned in which we learn that the Prophet ﷺ, he would teach this dua to any person that embraced Islam. So every new convert you can say, the Prophet ﷺ would teach this dua to him. كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُعَلِّمُ مَنْ أَسْلَمَ يَقُولُ اللَّهُمَ اغْفِرْلِي وَرْحَمْنِي وَهْدِنِي وَرْزُقْنِي Again in this version it's not mentioned that he told them to make this dua during the salah or between the two prostrations. A general dua. And this teaches us that if we ever want to you know, teach something very basic to someone who is just a beginner, right? what dua to make? This is one of the best duas. You know, children or someone who's just started learning the deen or someone who's just learning to practice. You see, every new convert and the Bedouin. The Bedouin. Because a Bedouin, how far can he go in Islamic knowledge? Not that far. Especially because Bedouins at that time, they lived in the desert. They could only come and visit the Prophet ﷺ rarely. And they came for a very short period of time. It wasn't that they came and they camped in Medina and then they went back. No, they would just come visit and go. So, uh, from this we see that this dua can be taught for such uh, purposes and, and to such individuals. So from none of the authentic narrations do we learn that this dua should be said between the two prostrations. Okay? But in general, this dua is authentic and it should be made. But between the two prostrations, which dua should be made? Rabbi khfirli, Rabbi khfirli. Okay? It's shorter and it's closer to the sunnah. You might say, but I like that dua more. But you know what we should like more? The sunnah. And you will find joy and sweetness in following the sunnah. Hmm? Okay. Now, this is the dhikr that should be made, the dua that should be made in the jalsa. Now the question is, how should a person sit in jalsa? When it comes to sajda, clear on seven bones, in addition to the nose 
and each limb, each bone should be placed firmly on the ground. Right? And everything is kind of facing the qibla, from the toes to the fingers, you know, even the knees, everything is in the direction of the qibla. Now, when it comes to sitting position, and we're not talking about the tashahud, neither the first one nor the second one. This is sitting between the two prostrations. How should a person sit? What have you learned? Okay, and how is that? Go ahead. On both your heels? Okay, your toes are facing the qibla of which foot? Left foot? Right foot. So right foot is standing basically on the toes and the toes are flexed so that the toes are facing the qibla. Okay. And what about the left foot? Where is that? It's under you. So you're sitting on it. Okay. What is this position called? Now you forgot. Tawarruk. Any other guess? Iftirash. Barakallahu fi ilmik. So this is known as iftirash. Okay, iftirash is basically to sit on the left foot and hold the right foot upright with the toes pointing towards the qibla. Now, there are two ways of sitting in iftirash. And both of them are, inshallah, according to the sunnah. The first is to keep the right foot upright. So the right foot is upright. Okay. And a person is sitting on his left foot. Okay? Simple. And this is uh, clearly mentioned in a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ kept his right foot upright and he pointed its toes towards the qibla. So meaning the toes are flexed. And uh, on the left foot, he sat. The, the other way is keeping both feet upright and sitting on the heels. Okay? This is also correct. Not all the time, but sometimes. Okay? Keeping both the feet upright and sitting on the heels. And this was also described in the Sahih Hadith, which Sheikh Al-Bani has authenticated, that the words of the Hadith are that sometimes he would rest on both his heels. Sometimes the Prophet ﷺ would rest, meaning he would sit where? On both his heels. And that is only possible if both the feet are upright. They are placed vertically. Now, is there any difference when you sit in the first position that was described as opposed to the second position that was described? Is there any difference in the sitting? Which one is more relaxed? The first one. Right? But the second one, sometimes a person may be in a rush, you know, an emergency may have happened or you have to finish the salah quickly for, you know, a genuine reason. And if you sit in this position on your left foot and your right foot upright, you know, it takes longer. Right? So if a person sits on both his feet, how? That both are upright behind him, and obviously the toes facing the qibla, then that is also okay. But when? Sometimes. But even when a person is doing that, should it be a rolling stop or a complete stop? Complete stop. Okay? Meaning a person must become still. Itma'nina is necessary in every position of prayer. You know what this makes me realize? Salah is very easy. Huh? Despite the fact that we have to, you know, sit in certain positions and get up in, in, in a certain way and move in a certain way, but still, there's so much room, right? Because it's practical. 
Okay, before we move on, what about placing one foot on top of the other and then sitting on them? Or, you know, a person is sitting on both the feet but the toes are not flexed, so they're not facing the Qibla, rather they are facing, you know, backwards. What about that position? Is that okay? Hmm? If a person sits in that position during the jalsa, his salah is valid. Okay? Meaning he doesn't have to repeat the prayer. However, he is losing on reward. He is losing out on reward. Why? Because he is not sitting the way the Prophet ﷺ sat. You understand? Now, what if a person is not able to sit in iftirash, muftarishan, he's not able to sit because of some pain or some injury, whatever the reason may be, he's not able to sit like that. Can he sit otherwise? Yes. In what position? Whatever is easiest for him. Okay? Whatever is easiest for him and whatever is closest to this way. Not that a person says that my right toe is, um, the big toe is injured, I have a band-aid on it, so I cannot really flex my toes. So I'm just going to sit on the chair. No, don't sit on the chair. Sit on the ground. If you cannot flex your toe, it doesn't matter. Leave it, you know, relaxed behind yourself. Sit however it is comfortable for you, but make sure that it is as close to the sunnah as possible. Alright? Now back to the sajda. One more thing. Imam Bukhari clarifies here that لا يفترشو he should not stretch out ذراعيه, his forearms sujud in sujud. What does it mean? That when a person is in sujud, his forearms, which is basically uh, the part between your hand and your elbow, that should not be, you know, يفترشو. What is farsh? Ground. Right? In the Quran we also learn about purush, certain animals which are closer to the ground. Okay, so, la yaftarishu, meaning he should not spread out his forearms on the ground such that they are placed on it, they are touching the ground. We learned earlier that when the Prophet ﷺ would be in, in sujood, where would his arms be? Not touching the side of the body, but away from the body. Such that his armpits could be seen if you know the cloth was open, so they could be seen. Now, when a person is doing that, he must also ensure that the forearms don't touch the ground. They should be lifted up. Okay? They should be lifted up. Why? Because there is severe warning for putting your forearms on the ground during the sajda. وَقَالَ أَبُو حُمَيْدٍ And Abu Humaid said, سَجَدَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ The Prophet ﷺ went in prostration وَوَطَعَ يَدَيْهِ And he placed his hands, meaning on the ground, غَيْرَ مُفْتَرِشٍ Not مُفْتَرِش وَلَا قَابِضِهِمَا Nor قَابِض What does it mean by مُفْتَرِش? Meaning he did not spread them out such that they were touching the ground. Nor did he do their قَبْض such that they were touching the side of his body. You understand? So first, they must be away from the side of the body, and secondly, they should also be up, meaning the elbows must must be lifted upwards. All right. 
Now, when can you do this properly? When your hands are also positioned in the right place. And where are the hands going to be positioned? On either side of the head. Okay? Not by your shoulders, but your head should be between your hands. حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا محمد بن جعفر قال حدثنا شعبة قال سمعت قتادة عن أنس بن مالك عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said اعتدلوا في السجود اعتدلوا Be balanced في السجود in the sujood ولا يبسط And he must not stretch out He must not spread out أحدكم ونبيو ذراعيه his forearms imbisata as the spreading out al-kalb of the dog meaning just like a dog spreads out his forearms you should not do the same when you're praying before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so i'tadilu fi sujood what does it mean be balanced in your sajda meaning your position should be between iftirash and qabd. What is iftirash? Just falling on the floor literally. It's lying down completely on the floor. And what is qabd? You know, being very tight, bunched up. Alright? So what do we learn? I'tadilu, meaning stay between that. Don't be completely bunched up and don't be completely, you know, lying down on the floor. Be mutawassilt. Be in between that. And that is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is uh, ummatan wasatan, right? That has been given a deen that is moderate in every way. To the finest details even. Look at the moderation even when it comes to the position of sajda. Hmm? Because what is moderate is the best. It is the easiest, it is the most practical. Now, the Prophet ﷺ on the one hand he commanded that اِعْتَدِلُوا فِي السُّجُودِ and on the other hand, he also forbade what that wala yabsut. He should not stretch out just as a dog spreads out its forearms. Now, if you think about it, many animals sit in this way. Which way? That the, that the entire forearm is resting on the ground. Many animals sit in that way. For example, and besides dogs, cats, even lions. Right, all types of cats basically. Right? They they all sit like this, and many other creatures also sit like that. That when they're resting, this is how they sit. That their arms are, you know, uh, forearms are resting on the ground. But the Prophet specifically mentioned the dog. Why? Because you don't want to imitate a dog. You don't want to be likened to a dog in any way. Right? So, it is basically to make the warning severe in order to deter people and to make them realize that you know you are prostrating before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't sit like a dog does. Don't lie down like a dog does. No. There should be humility with dignity in your sujood. Humility with dignity in your sujood. And you know that in Medina there was a large population of dogs and this, you know, these were animals that were seen by people all the time and people were constantly bothered by these dogs. So, you know, when you're already frustrated with something and then you're likened to it, you're like, 
I better keep away from this. I better not do this. Because there was a natural dislike for dogs that people had, especially at that time, because there were so many dogs that were a nuisance for the people. You know, especially they were also coming into the masjid and making it dirty. So, you know, obviously people didn't want to do anything that a dog does. Also, we see that, that the way of the Prophet ﷺ, how he used to teach by giving such examples that the people could relate with. Right? People could relate with those examples uh, because who hasn't seen a dog sitting in this way? Everybody has. Everyone can understand. And in the Qur'an also examples are given. In the Sunnah also examples are given. Why are examples given? To explain to the listener so that he can understand easily and quickly. You know, this is just like when a picture is shown as opposed to being described. What is easy? When you see it, it clicks. But when you're listening to the description, you're going, you know, you're trying to imagine it in your head and who knows, you might be imagining it completely wrong. Right? But when you see something, when you see a picture, when you're given an example, immediately you can understand. So this is something that we must also bear in mind whenever we're teaching or explaining something to the people in any setting, in any form or way. Give examples. Because this is the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is also the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. whoever istawa. Istawa? He became leveled. Okay. Qa'idan sitting. Now, istawa qa'idan meaning to sit straight, to sit upright, to sit still. So whoever sat still, as one should sit, fi witrin, in the odd, min salatihi, during his prayer. Thumma nahada, and then he got up. Now what does it mean by witr over here? Witr prayer? Odd rakar, good mashallah. Witr over here refers to the odd rakar. And which one is that? The third rakar and before that? The first rakar. So whoever sat in the odd rakah, so in the first rakah, meaning on getting up from the first rakah, first he sat still, istawa qa'idan, and then summa nahada, and then he got up. What is this referring to? Jalsa istiraha. So the one who does this, is he following the sunnah? Is he doing something mustahab? Is he doing something ghair mustahab? Is he doing something unnecessary? Is it allowed? Is it not allowed? Is it mandatory? Is it masnoon? Is it mustahab? What is this? Okay. Imam Bukhari clarifies over here with the hadith. حدثنا محمد بن الصباح قال أخبرنا هشيم قال أخبرنا خالد الحذاء عن أبي قلابة قال أخبرنا مالك بن الحويرث الليثي أنه رأى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي. Malik bin Huwairith, he said that he saw the Prophet ﷺ praying salah, فَإِذَا كَانَ فِي وِتْرِ مِنْ صَلَاتِهِ And then when he was in the odd rak'ah of his salah, لَمْ يَنْهَضْ He did not get up. Meaning he did not stand up. حَتَّى until يَسْتَوِيَ قَاعِدًا He became still sitting. Meaning before standing up, what did he see the Prophet ﷺ do? Sit, still, for a second or two, for a very brief period of time and then he got up. Now this proves to us that if a person does sit in the first and third rakah on getting up, then there is no harm. This is permissible. 
It is permissible for sure. But is this mustahab? Is this something that must be done? That is better if it is followed? This is a matter of ikhtilaf among the scholars. Some scholars said that it is mustahab, it should be done. It is better if a person does it. Always. Others said that, no, no, it is not mustahab. A person should not sit in the first uh, rakah, in the third rakah. Why? Because there is no dhikr that you're supposed to say. There is no dhikr you're supposed to say before and after. So this is not a rukun of prayer. It should not be done. It is not mustahab. And others, they explained that it is a sunnah, but when there is a need. When there is a need. You see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has given us a deen which is as-sahl, which is yusuf, which is easy, which is practical. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends ease for us. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ and there is a principle of fiqh, which is that al-mashakkatu tajlibu taysir. That whenever there is difficulty, that will bring ease. That that should make the matters easy. Whenever a person is finding difficulty in doing something, then what is easier to perform is permissible for a person. That matter should be made easy for him. It will be made easy for him. Which is why, for example, if a person is traveling, and it's the month of Ramadan, and fasting in the month of Ramadan is fard, but fasting during travel will be difficult. Now, because of this difficulty, matters have been made easy for him. How? That he can fast later on. He can make up those missed fasts later. He has the option of leaving those fasts, and he can make them up later. Now, salah is something that is mandatory on every person. Man, woman. Old, young. Someone who is physically strong and someone who is physically challenged. Someone who is sick for a day or two and someone who is terminally ill. Someone who's on crutches and someone who's walking perfectly fine. Someone who has a broken bone and someone who has perfectly fine bones. Someone who just had surgery and someone who didn't have that surgery. Right? Because salah is something that is mandatory. Mandatory. Who is allowed to leave the prayer? Who? The ha'ib. The menstruating woman. Other than that, a man, when is he allowed to leave the prayer? When is a man allowed to leave salah? Okay. When he's not in his senses, so when he's unconscious. So for example, a person had a surgery and uh, he was um, given... Anesthesia, and because of that, he was unconscious for an entire day, so he didn't pray. But even in that, you know what the scholars have said? That if it was for a very brief period of time, so for example, just 24 hours, and after that he's back to normal, then he should make up the prayers afterwards. But if, let's say, the effects of that anesthesia, they continued for a long time, so literally it took almost a week for a person to get back into his senses. So then, in that situation... He will not have to make up the prayers, but otherwise he has to. So when is a man allowed to leave his salah? Basically never. Never. And just as a tangent over here, please do appreciate you know, the fact that men, they can never ever have a break from salah. Many women become so hard you know, towards their husbands and sometimes even their fathers and their brothers and their sons. They're not doing this, they're not doing this, they're not doing this, they're not doing this. Just think about this. 
their prayers are more than yours. At least appreciate that. Right? We want them to become like perfect. They should be going to the masjid, they should be reading Quran every day, they should be fasting Monday and Thursday. Because they're supposed to be the qawam and they're supposed to be spiritually stronger and better. Come on. Just, just realize this fact that they never leave the prayer. They're never allowed to leave the prayer. So anyway, when a person is required to pray always, all the time, there will be circumstances, situations when it will be physically difficult for him to pray. Now in that situation, he's not leaving the prayer. But rather the prayer is made easy for him. How? That when he is getting up from sajda and going straight from sajda into standing position, I mean this is something that only very young and flexible people can do. Right? But for an older person, an aged person, or a sick person, or someone who's got an injury, or someone who's tired, you know, they've got severe backache, then for them it is easier to sit first and then stand up. Okay? So this is when it is sunnah. It is sunnah when? Indal haja. When there is a need. And in that situation it is sunnah. So if you have backache, if your feet are hurting, if you're tired, then in that situation don't stand straight up from sajda because you might lose your balance. Right? So sit first and then stand. This seems to be the most correct opinion because it is the most also. And remember that the purpose of this sitting is basically facilitation, ease. And if a person does sit, then this sitting should not be longer than a few seconds. It should not be longer than a few seconds. And the shorter it is, the better that is. And if the imam, he sits, then it is better for the ma'moom to sit also. So for example, you're standing right behind the imam and you see the imam sitting first, then you should also sit. But if the imam stands up straight, then you should also stand up straight. Why? Because then you be behind the imam. Meaning you won't be really following him, but there will be a long gap between the action of the imam and the action of the ma'moom. Okay. Bab, كَيْفَ يَعْتَمِدُ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ إِذَا قَامَ مِنَ الْرَقَعَ Now something that is connected to this, which is that when a person is getting up and it's difficult for him to rise from the sajda because of some physical ailment or reason, then he needs to take some support. Or sometimes you're perfectly fit in your body, but still you need that support in order to get up. So if a person does need to take support in order to stand up, how should he do? Hold the chair huh? that is next to a person or hold the wall. Yeah? Is that what a person should do? Getting up from such then he should rest his hand on the wall and then stand up. Is that the correct way? What is the correct way? What is the correct way? On the hands. So كَيْفَ يَعْتَمِدُ How to take support. How he should take support. يَعْتَمِدُ is from اِعْتِمَاد and اِعْتِمَاد is from imad. And what is imad? Pillar. And a pillar is for the purpose of support. So how should you take support what is it that you should rest your hands on? Okay, ala al-ard on the earth. Ida qam min raka when he is getting up from raka. Which raka? Which raka? Any raka. Any raka. Because even when you're getting up from the tashahud position, okay, then for some people they can just stand up so easily. 
But for others, they need to come forward and take some support somewhere. And this is the case with the majority of the people. Most of the time, that they need support somewhere. Right? So, إِذَا قَوَمْ مِنَ الرَّكَارِ When he gets up from rakar, meaning any rakar, but especially the first and the third, the odd one. Okay. Now, uh, how is it it's understood that a person will take support on his hands? Okay. Now, how should his hands be? Should they be in fists or should he take support on his palms? This may be in any manner because the exact description is not given. That a person must, you know, place his palms on the ground and then he should stand up or he should, you know, uh, make his hands into fists. He should place them on the ground and then get up. Why? Because the matter is vast. It is vast. A person may get up taking support from the ground on his hands in any way. حدثنا معل بن أسد قال حدثنا مهيب عن أيوب عن أبي قلابة قال جاءنا مالك بن الحويرث فصلى بنا في مسجدنا هذا. He said Malik bin Huwaidith came to us and he prayed in our masjid. Which masjid? This one. Meaning في مسجدنا our masjid. هذا this one. فقال so he said إني لا أصلي بكم. Now this hadith you have already read so many times about Malik bin Huwaidith. And there are so many other narrations that have already passed in this book. What does this show to us? How Malik bin Huwaidis was teaching. Hmm? So he said, Inni la usalli bikum, I will pray with you. Wa ma I don't intend to pray right now. It's not that I'm praying my fard prayer, my maktuba prayer. Walakin uridu an uriyakum. But I only intend to show you. Kayfa ra'aytu nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yusalli. I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pray. قال أيوب أيوب said فقلت لأبي قلابة وكيف كانت صلاته The narrator said that I asked Abu Qilaba So how is it that Malik bin Huwaiz prayed? قال he said مثل صلاة شيخنا هذا Just like this old sheikh of ours Meaning he prayed exactly like that يعني عمر بن سلمة He prayed exactly like عمر بن سلمة قال أيوب وكان ذلك الشيخ And he said that this sheikh How would he pray? يتم التكبير He would complete the takbir Meaning he would say Allahu Akbar. Okay, he would complete it. وَإِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ عَنِ السَّجْدَةِ And when he would raise his head from the sajda, which sajda? الثانيتي, the second one. The second sajda of the raka'ah, what would he do when he would get up? Jalasa. He would sit. And وَعْتَمَدَ And he took support عَلَى الْأَرْضِ on the earth, meaning he supported himself on the ground. ثُمَّ قَامَ Then he stood. So if a person needs to further make the standing easy, he can do that. He can take support of the ground in order to stand up. And how will he do that? Obviously with his hands. And it can be on the palms as well as the fists. Bab yukabbiru, he should say the takbir, wahwa yanhadu, wahwa, while he is. What does wahwa mean? What is this word? Wahwa. What's the root? Break this word down for me. Okay, in your book it is wahua. Okay. So, now you know what it is. Hua, as in lamir, and wa as in harf, atf. Okay. Now, remember that sometimes this hua, when a wa is coming before it, there is also a sukun that is placed on the ha. So, instead of wahua, wahua. Why do you think so? This is easy. Okay? 
So yukabbiru he should say the takbir while he is rising from the two prostrations meaning when a person is rising from the two sajdas so after the two sajdas when he is getting up he should say takbir at the same time simultaneously Is this a matter that we learned earlier also with regards to getting up from rukur going down into rukur yes So every you know transition from one position of salah to the next what do we learn as a person is moving he should say takbir at the same time wa kana ibn zubair and ibn zubair yukabbiru fi nahdatihi he would say the takbir during his nahda what does nahda mean getting up meaning while he was getting up at the same time he would be saying the takbir so this shows to us that Uh, you can even extend the saying of Allahu Akbar so as opposed to just Allahu Akbar a person can say Allahu Akbar you understand he may lengthen that حدثنا يحيى بن صالح قال حدثنا فليح بن سليمان عن سعيد بن الحارث قال صلى لنا ابو سعيد he said that Abu Sa'id prayed for us فجهر بالتكبير so he made the takbir loud حين رفع راسه من السجود When he raised his head from the sujood, meaning when he was getting up from sujood, going into standing position, he said the takbir out loud. Wahina sajda, and also when he went into sajda, wahina rafaa, and when he got up from there, meaning every time he would go into sajda, get up from sajda, whether the first sujood or the second sujood, he said the takbir out loud. Wahina qama min rakaatayni, and also when he got up from the two rakaa. So the first getting up from sujood was the first sajda, and this one is the second sajda. وقال ان هي سيد هكذا رايت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم he said and this is how i saw the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم meaning this is how he would say the takbir how how with the movement okay حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد قال حدثنا غيلان بن جرير عن مطرف قال صليت انا وعمران صلاه خلف علي بن ابي طالب He said that I and Imran, both of us prayed behind who? Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu. فكان, so he used to, إذا سجد, when he went into sajda, كبر, he said the takbir. Meaning when he would go into sajda, he would say, Allahu Akbar. وإذا رفع, and when he would get up from the sajda, he would كبر, he would say the takbir. وإذا نهض من الركعتين, and when he got up from the two ركعات, When he would get up from the two rakahs, what does that mean? From the shahud kabbara, he said the takbir. فَلَمَّا سَلَّمَ Basically what he's saying is that his takbir was with the movement every time. فَلَمَّا سَلَّمَ When he said the salam, meaning when he ended the prayer, أَخَذَ عِمْرَانُ بِيَدِي Imran took hold of my hand. فَقَالَ And he said, لَقَدْ صَلَّى بِنَا هَذَا صَلَاةَ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمٍ That he prayed with us the prayer of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. هَذَا أَوْ قَالَ Or he said لَقَدْ ذَكَّرَنِي هَذَا Or he said that sir, this man reminded me, this prayer reminded me صَلَاةَ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمٍ The prayer of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. If you think about it, many people used to pray at that time. Lead others in prayer. 
But notice that Ivan said about Ali bin Abi Talib and as if he really felt it because as soon as the prayer ended, he took hold of this man's hand and he said, he just, he reminded me of the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. This is how the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. How close Ali ﷺ was to the salah of the Prophet ﷺ. He followed the sunnah. You know, it's like earlier we learned that Aisha ﷺ said that كَانَ يَتَأَوَّلُ Quran That he was interpreting the Qur'an. When the Prophet ﷺ in his sajda and his rukur, he would say, Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik Allahumma khirli He was implementing the Qur'an. How? Because he was given the command in the Qur'an to do that. So he was implementing it. So his actions were the interpretation of the Qur'an. Hmm? And over here, what do we see? That Ali anhu he was following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That the way he prayed was exactly how the Prophet ﷺ prayed. His actions matched the actions of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is something that we need to keep in mind. How close are my actions, my rituals, my acts of worship to the Qur'an, to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ? That the description and the action actually matches. The ahadith and uh, the salah, they actually match. You can you can put them together. You can say, yeah, yeah, this is exactly this. So Ali radhiallahu anhu, his prayer, I mean, Imran, he testified that it was according to the sunnah of the Prophet Now, after the sajda, is what? Sitting in what? In tashahud. Obviously, this is in the second rakah or in the last rakah. Sitting in tashahud. So, bab sunnatil julusi. The sunnah of sitting in tashahud. What does this mean? That it is not fard to sit in tashahud, it's just a sunnah? Yes, what he means by this is that what is the sunnah? How is it that the Prophet ﷺ used to sit in tashahud? Now, this includes the manner in which he sat, this includes when he sat. This includes uh, how long he sat for. And what he said in that tashahud. Okay? So what are the different sunan, different uh, sunnas of the julus in tashahud? What does tashahud mean, by the way? To testify. Why is this position called tashahud? Because we're testifying. We say, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Because there is the mention of tashahud in it, basically. وَكَانَتْ أُمُّ الدَّرْدَاءِ And أُمُّ الدَّرْدَاءِ She used to تَجْلِسُ She would sit فِي صَلَاتِهَا In her prayer جِلْسَةَ الرَّجُلِ The sitting of a man. Meaning exactly how men would sit. وَكَانَتْ فَقِيهَا And she was a faqiha. Meaning she was not an ordinary woman, she was a knowledgeable woman. And she used to sit in the exact same way as men sit in the prayer. So what is Imam Bukhari proving over here? That a woman will sit in the same way as a man sits in the prayer. Because there are many fuqaha who said that 
When a woman sits in tashahud, she should sit differently. So they basically distinguished between the prayer of the man and the prayer of the woman. Some, you know, differences they gave. And they based those differences on sometimes evidence, but that evidence was either not relevant or it was not authentic. Okay? And sometimes on no evidence. Just what seemed logical to them. And what is it that seemed logical to them? That a woman, she should pray in a manner that her body is most concealed. Okay? But the fact is that our deen is complete. And if the Prophet ﷺ did not give any instruction that a woman should pray in this manner because then her body will be more concealed, then there is no need to completely you know, hide the existence of the woman. It's, it's like an exaggeration basically. What is the difference between you know, prostrating in a way that the arms are not touching the body and they are touching the body except that one is more dignified and the other is not? Is the body hiding more? How is it hiding? Because they said that when a woman prostrates, her stomach should touch the thighs. And her arms should touch the sides of the body. And they should also touch the ground. And what's the reason? Kana astar. This is more concealing. This is more concealing. How is it more concealing? Isn't she already covered? Isn't she already praying behind the men? Isn't she already advised to pray in the innermost part of the house so that she has the least distractions? This is clear, right? So, why is it that she needs to be concealed even more? Why? There's no need, right? Because she has been told to cover herself and she's already observing that. So, why conceal her even more? And and this is similar to the saying of the people who's, who say that a woman's voice is awra, so even that should be hidden, right? Uh, but this is an exaggeration. And when... When matters are exaggerated beyond the proper limit, then what happens? We are going into an extreme. And we're going to cause an imbalance, which is going to cause a severe reaction. And this is exactly what has happened. That when people go to an extreme, then they snap. Right? So when we enforce matters on people which are not from the Qur'an and Sunnah, then we are causing them to become averse to the religion. Because really... What is the reason over here except just pure bias? I, I don't understand. It, it seems to be completely biased over here that a woman, her body needs to be even more concealed. Why more concealed? So, Umm Darda, she was a faqiha, and when she would sit in tashahud, she would sit exactly how men sit. Now, some differences that are given by certain fuqaha distinguishing between the prayer of the man and the woman, they have said that first of all, a woman before starting the prayer, she raises her hands up to her shoulders. She should not raise them above her shoulders. And they gave as evidence, a statement that we learned earlier regarding Umm Darda, that she raised her hands up to her shoulders. Okay? They said, oh, Bukhari. It's reported in Bukhari, that Umm Darda, a woman, she raised her hands up to her shoulders. So a woman will also raise her hands up to the shoulders, and the men will raise them up to the ears to the point that they will even touch the ears. Okay. But the fact is that that, that statement was mentioned, for what purpose? To show that the hands may be raised up to the shoulders, and from other narrations we see that, up to the ears. So basically they have to be somewhere between the shoulders and the ears, and there is no harm if they are a little up and down. You know, this matter is more vast. 
It's not strict. That has to be leveled with the ears and must touch the ears. No. Somewhere between the shoulders and the ears. Okay. Likewise, they said that when she is standing in the prayer, then she has to place her hand, okay, hands on her breast. Okay. And she has to, again, what's the reason? Astar. She should conceal herself even more. She's already wearing a hijab. And they said that the right palm must be placed on the back of the left hand. Okay, right is being placed on the left. But what do we learn is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ? That sometimes also on the arm. So if you follow the closest way, then what would that be? That the palm is placed on the left wrist. And chest means anywhere on the chest, however high or low, is easy for a person. You know, for a woman at times, it would be very easy to place her hands on her breast, literally, and, and other times below that. Every woman is different. So you cannot say that a woman has to position her hands over here. No, there has to be evidence if you say that a woman has to do that. Another difference they gave that when doing rukur, she will not join her left foot to her right foot. She will bend her waist a little. She does not keep her head level with her back. She bends her knees and puts her hands on them. She does bends her knees. What's the evidence for that? And she does not grasp her knees or spread her fingers over them. Because it's not feminine. Is it just the thing of the men that they hold their knees and women, you know, if a woman is holding the knees, then it's masculine? What's the reason here? Then likewise, I said that in sajda position, she should place her arms on the floor in a manner close to her abdomen and keep her abdomen over her thighs. Now this clearly contradicts the sunnah. There is a severe warning against that. Another that in the sitting position, they said that she should sit on the floor sticking out her feet to the right side. Meaning both her feet should be where? Where? Towards the right. Now is this the... Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. What is the Sunnah of the Shahud? Remember that when it comes to the matter of prayer, it's the same for men and women. There's no difference. Just as when it comes to fasting, is there any difference between the fasting of a man and a woman? Huh? There's only one thing that when a woman is menstruating, she's not going to fast. Okay. But otherwise, in the in the method of fasting, is there any difference? When it comes to Hajj, the actions of Hajj, Ihram is different. But when it comes to the actions of Hajj, that a man will do tawaf anywhere and a woman has to do tawaf as close to the Kaaba as possible or as far from the Kaaba as possible. No. Is there any instruction like that? No. But when it comes to the Sa'i and certain part, you know, the men they have to run fast. And the women, they have been told not to do that. But there are actually scholars who say that women should also do that if it is possible for them. Why? Because who is the one who did this first? A woman. So if I'm not mistaken over here, Shaykh Albani was of the opinion that she also has to do that. Okay? So other, otherwise, in the methodology of Hajj, is there any difference? No. Yes, when it comes to the matters of hijab and tahara, that's understandable. But otherwise, in the method, there is no difference. And the same rule applies to salah. There is no difference. So how is it that the Prophet ﷺ used to sit? What is the sunnah of sitting, of the shahud? 
Let's find out. Haddathana Abdullah ibn Maslamah an Malik an Abdul Rahman ibn Al-Qasim an Abdullah ibn Abdullah annahu akhbarahu annahu kana yara Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma that Abdullah ibn Abdullah Abdullah ibn Abdullah who is he? The son of Abdullah ibn Umar the grandson of Umar and you see Abdullah ibn Abdullah this shows to us that a father can give his name to his son also. Okay, there is no harm in that. A person should not think that oh, how much, how proud they are of themselves, or how much they like themselves, or they're giving the exact same name to their child. There is no harm in that. As long as the name is good and the meaning is good, why not? And sometimes people do this that after their parents, they name their children. So again, no harm. So he said that he saw Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma يَتَرَبَّعُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ إِذَا جَلَسَ That he would do tarabbu' in his salah when he would sit. What is tarabbu' To cross your legs. So when he would sit, he would cross his legs. You understand? So فَفَعَلْتُهُ so he said that when I saw him doing it, I did the same thing. وَأَنَا يَوْمَ إِذِنْ And I was at that time حَدِيثُ sin, New in age. Meaning I was very young at that time. Okay, Hadith literally means new. Hadatha, when something new has happened. Right? Has just happened. So حَدِيثُ sin meaning new in age. Meaning I, I was young in age. I saw him sitting cross-legged in his salah when he would get up from sujood. So I did the exact same thing. فَنَهَانِي عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ عُمَرِ He said that he stopped me then. وَقَالَ And he said, إِنَّمَا سُنَّةُ الصَّلَاةِ Indeed, the sunnah of the prayer is that أَن تَنْصِبَ That you do nasib Meaning you make to stand. What? رِجْلَكَ Your foot. Which foot? الْيُمْنَ The right one. So your right foot should be upright. وَتَثْنِيَ And you sit on الْيُسْرَى The left. So your right foot should be vertical and your left foot should be laid such that you're sitting on it. This is the sunnah of the prayer. This is how the Prophet ﷺ used to sit in salah. فَقُلْتُ So I said, إِنَّكَ تَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ But you do this? What? That you sit cross-legged. فَقَالَ So he said, إِنَّ رِجْلَيَّ لَا تَحْمِلَانِي My feet cannot carry me. Meaning, I cannot sit like that anymore. So this shows to us that Abdullah bin Umar, this was when he was aged, when he began sitting in that manner. So what do we learn? That what is masnoon is that a person's right foot is upright and the left foot is, you can say, it's uh, placed horizontally, so he's sitting on it. Any observation you have from this hadith? Yes. So... Whenever a person is, uh, you know, for example, in their family, okay, they are, let's say, the eldest, like over here, okay, and there are children who are observing them, there are other family members who are watching them, then a person must become extra careful and follow the sunnah as best as possible. Why? Because people will not necessarily hear his words. What will they do? They will watch his actions. You know, children, you don't have to tell them, say this word. They will say it. 
Why? Because they heard you. They will pick up on your actions without you teaching them. Right? So the same is with acts of worship. People learn by watching others. Right? So when people are watching us, it must be correct. It must, it must be according to the best of our knowledge. Okay? Closest to the sunnah. And if a person is not able to follow the sunnah, okay, and there is a specific reason because of which he is doing something different, then first of all, he should clarify to the people. Okay? And secondly, it's possible that, like for example, Abdullah bin Umar, he didn't feel the need to clarify because it's a matter that's understood. You don't sit cross-legged in your prayer. You always sit in the manner that that is described over here. But because that child was young, and he just followed Abdullah ibn Umar. So when you see that somebody is picking up on you know, something that you're doing, and you're doing it like that because of a genuine reason, then what is your responsibility that you tell them? Abdullah ibn Umar, he clarified immediately. Right? He clarified immediately. Any other thing that you observed over here? Yes, very true. That Abdullah ibn Umar, it seems that obviously he was someone who uh, was eager to follow the sunnah of the Prophet And we cannot imagine that he would leave out a sunnah you know, for uh, a minor reason. No, he really was not able to sit in that manner anymore, which is why he had to sit cross-legged. We learn uh, about Hajj, that when Ibn Umar, when he went for Hajj, he stopped at certain spots, you know, under a tree, by a ravine, and he prayed Salah over there. Uh, why? Because he saw the Prophet ﷺ pray over there. He went to such great lengths to follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. But we see that at this age, he wasn't able to follow the sunnah in salah. So what do we learn? That we must make use of the health and the time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and the knowledge that we learn, we must implement it because you never know. A time might come when we may want to follow a sunnah but we will not be able to because of the position that we're in. So don't delay for the next prayer. That I'll I'll say this dua in the next prayer, you know, or I will sit in this manner in the next prayer. No, start immediately. Also, one more thing is that Abdullah ibn Abdullah. I mean, there's something that we learned from from him also that he saw Abdullah ibn Umar doing something, and he followed it. He began practicing it also, according to him. Right, that if that was the right thing to do, he didn't wait to be told. He saw Abdullah ibn Umar, a sahabi of the Prophet ﷺ, doing something. He said, "Okay, I, I will do the same thing." He did it, being eager to, you know, follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Yes, a mistake happened over here, and Abdullah ibn Umar clarified. But we see the eagerness of this child that from a young age, he changed his action immediately. So, in tashahud, how is it that a person will sit? Sitting on his left foot and right foot upright. What is this called? Iftiraj. Which the shahud is this? The first one. The first one. Okay? So between the two prostrations, so basically the jalsa. And secondly, the first the shahud. This is how a person should sit. 
How? What is the term that is given? Iftirash. When it comes to the second tashahud, or the last tashahud, you can say, of the prayer, then how is it that a person will sit? That position is known as tawarruk. What is it known as? Tawarruk. And what is tawarruk? Insha'Allah, we will learn about that in our next class. Okay? Insha'Allah. And we will also go over the du'as that the Prophet ﷺ used to read in tashahud. Many, many du'as. Huh? Any question? We have one minute left. Yes. Yes. Jalsa istiraha. Nothing is said during it. Nothing is said specifically before or after. You just say Allahu Akbar as you're getting up. Okay? But when you're sitting in that position for jalsa istiraha, before it, after it, you don't say anything. It's not a rukun of prayer. It's not a rukun of prayer. It's just a facilitation, you can say. Okay? And when a person does choose to perform jalsa istiraha, how will he sit? How will he sit? Cross-legged. How? Iftirash. Say the word. If, use these words. Okay? Get used to iftirash because the warruk is coming. Okay? And you better know iftirash really well before you start getting confused. Okay? So iftirash. How? When you sit in jalsa, first the shahud, and also jalsa, istiraha. Okay? But what if a person you know, is not able to sit in iftirash. Then, Ibn Umar, he did not sit in iftirash, right? He sat cross-legged. Why? Because that was easiest for him. Okay? So if a person has to, you know, put both his right feet on, on his right side because of some pain, it's okay. And if even that is not possible, then he may even sit cross-legged. There's no harm in doing that. Ibn Umar did it. So, if a person has a genuine reason, he can also sit in that manner. Any other question? Okay, let me make it clear. There's two kinds of jalsas. One jalsa is between the two prostrations. In which rakah? Every rakah. Between the two prostrations is jalsa. During that jalsa is a rukun of prayer. Which means you have to do it. It is mandatory. You cannot skip it. Why? Because there is a dhikr before it, there is a dhikr during it, and there is a dhikr after it. So what is a dhikr before it? Allahu Akbar. Okay? What is a dhikr during it? Rabbi ghfirli, Rabbi ghfirli. What is the dhikr after it? Allahu Akbar. So this is a rukun of prayer, mandatory in every rakah, should not be missed. Okay. The second jalsa is jalsa istiraha. And what is that? Between the first and second rakah? Okay? And between the third and fourth rakah? Is it a rukun of prayer? No. Then what is it? It is sunnah. I'm going to test you on this stuff, okay? Really I will. Because I'm not repeating all of this again and again and again for no reason. I'm going to make sure you know this. Okay? So it is sunnah. Indal haja. Alright. How is it sunnah عند الحاجه and not a rukun of prayer? What's the evidence? There is no dhikr before it, no dhikr during it, no dhikr after it. Both of these jalsas, 
whether it is rukun of salah or not rukun of salah, whether it is between the two prostrations or jalsa istiraha. How do you sit in this jalsa? Iftirash. Iftirash. Okay? Good. So remember all of these words related to jalsa. Okay. So this is jalsa. Then is tashahud. What is tashahud? That sitting in which you say the tashahud. When do you say that? Second rakah? Okay, between the second and the third rakah basically. And at the end of the prayer in the fourth rakah. Okay. In tashahud, how do you sit? One is iftirash, which is in the first tashahud. The second tashahud, how do you sit? We'll talk about that after. Okay? So the first tashahud, how do you sit? Iftirash. In the second tashahud, which is longer, so it has to be easier. Okay? So sitting like this with your toes flexed, you know, sitting on your left foot for a long time might get painful for some people, might get difficult, might get tiring. You know, your foot or your leg might go to sleep or something. You might get pins and needles. So it has to be a little bit easier. So it's easier than iftirash. And what is that? We'll talk about it after, inshallah. Clear? Alhamdulillah. I just have a whole lot of questions for your test and assignment. Which makes me wonder, should we have one soon? Test or assignment? Assignment, why? You're going to take so long doing it. You're going to ask for a week and then another week. And then the assignment is going to have to be long. And you're going to go through so many pages again and again and again. Hmm? So you leave it to me? Are you sure? Sure? If I do test you, I will only test you on what you've been taught. Okay? And I know that it's not possible to remember every detail, to memorize every detail, because we're not doing a master's degree on fiqh of salah over here. Okay? Inshallah, if there is a test, if, I'm not saying there will definitely be, if there is a test, because I, I cannot make this decision just myself, okay? As long as I have your permission, okay? So if there is a test, remember it will be something that you can do, inshallah. Okay? But that, there has to be a variety of questions, right? Only multiple choice. I mean, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. Right? But if you're asked a question and you're, give, you're supposed to write an answer, you could get it half right, half wrong. Okay? So don't think multiple choice is always easy. Anyway, we should really conclude over here. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.